0: Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. If you're new to the show, my name is Jay. I'm an investor. I'm here looking for the smartest home for my cash. If that sounds like you, then I think you're going to like what we do here. My guest today is Dr. Gary Schilling. He's the president of A. Gary Schilling & Co., a consultancy and money manager. Today we got into where he's putting cash and why. Uh, Conversations I'd love to have. Back up your thesis with your wallet. Let's find out what you're doing with your money. Uh, Right before we jump into this, If you are interested in building a portfolio in the commodity sector, then check out thecommodityuniversity.com. Myself, uh, Rick Rule, Peter Kraut, Gwen Preston, many more friends have put together a 10-chapter video course for beginners who want to build a portfolio in the commodity sector very fun, very simple to follow, Uh, no complex counsel, just very simple, actionable advice. Check out thecommodityuniversity.com. And here is Dr. Gary Schilling. Enjoy. All right, Dr. Schilling, it's great to have you on the program. I appreciate you making the time. Glad to be with you. So I'd like to start with a bit of context uh, when it comes to your portfolio, and then we'll unpack the macro narrative from there. And so, Beginning with that, beginning with capital allocation, Dr. Schilling, where are you seeing smart money move right now? Where have you parked capital? Uh, Where are you playing offense and where are you playing defense? Well, our
1: approach to investing is very much top down. We start with the economic, the political, the financial spheres, develop a forecast and then see what investment themes follow from that. And they can be long or short. Being short is not unpatriotic, in my view. Uh, they can be stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies. Uh, we We want to cover the the whole the whole spectrum. <clears throat> right now, we have a basically a risk off portfolio, which has been working for us, uh, as you can well imagine. Uh, we're basically and 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 by the way, uh, we're not stock pickers. Uh, we We basically use ETF's uh, futures in some accounts and so on. Uh, but we don't, uh, we, we don't hold ourselves out to be experts in individual stocks. Uh, right now we're, uh, long treasury bonds, which have been doing very well lately. Uh, and we can go into the reasons why on that. Uh, we're short stocks, which have also, uh, proved helpful. Uh, we're long the dollar. Um, we're short commodities, particularly copper. And the one area that we're uh, interested in a specific way is India. I think India has tremendous potential, and uh, we use ETFs for India. So that's the portfolio, and it's uh, it's we use it with all of our clients. Uh, we're 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 not uh, one from column A, one from column P. Uh, we tell people that they if they're if they're uh, interested in our approach and comfortable with it,
0: welcome aboard. Uh, but that's the way we manage money. Okay. I appreciate that, Dr. Schilling. I want to unpack this a little bit now. So I'm going to start with uh, shorting stocks. So you're looking at specific sectors. Are you watching the rally right now in the S&P and having your doubts about the the sustainability? Uh, Walk me through your approach right now to being short. And is this the broad equities market? Is this-
1: Well, well, uh, uh, we we do it via the S&P and use uh, uh, exchange-traded funds there. And I think that stocks are, uh, are, are vul- very vulnerable now because we are moving from a period of euphoria where a lot of people look for uh, a safe landing to the realization of the economy is weakening. And that's particularly evident in the all-important labor, uh, labor area. Uh, so we are, we're modestly short stocks. That's our smallest position. Uh, but I do think there's going to be further declines there. Uh, early last year, um, we said we thought there'd be a 30%, uh, top to bottom decline in stocks from their January 3rd, uh, a peak of last year. Uh, they went down about 25%, rallied, uh, have subsequently fallen. Uh, but I think to get to that target, you would take another 27% decline from here. And I think we're in or close to a recession, which will take down profits, uh, change investor enthusiasm to pessimism and so that's the rationale for the short stocks but it's a very small it's the smallest of position of any of our uh of any of our
0: positions okay that makes sense and thank you for that context so when you look at the rally in the SP right now um what you're waiting for is recessionary effects to take down corporate profits destroy investor sentiment their bullish sentiment um that'll trickle into uh into the market what do you make of the rally that we're watching right now what's behind this rally Dr. Well, I,
1: as I mentioned i think it is uh enthusiasm that uh inflation is coming down and and the belief that we're in a soft landing but what is more important to me than what's happening in stocks is what's happening to, to treasury notes and bonds that's where the action has really been and and that's a much bigger position for us, and it's been working very well. And I think it is based on the idea that uh, the economy is is slowing, the Fed isn't going to turn around and shift toward ease immediately, but it will eventually. Uh, but in the meanwhile, uh, with a the recession, there'll be a lot more interest in Treasuries as safe havens, a lot less competition from other uh, forms of of, of of borrowing, and so on. So um, Treasuries are much more important to us
0: than. stocks okay walk me through your your long treasury and long u.s dollar thesis
1: well it's the same thing the dollars a
0: safe haven and and when you have
1: trouble around the world investors flock to the dollar and it's it's really interesting historically even if even if the trouble starts in the u.s that's that's where investors go Uh, they go to treasuries they go to the dollar is safe havens and the, and the dollar is I'm sure you know has been very strong in the last year mm-hmm. I think it will probably continue to be uh, a safe haven effect
0: mm. okay okay and um do you, do you watch the de-dollarization conversation are you, are you following these threads what's your take on the U.S dollar losing any influence or status when it comes to global trade and exchange.
1: We've done a lot of work on that over the years and going back to actually ancient times, ancient Greek and Roman times. And we've looked at the characteristics for leading currencies in the world. And and they are historically associated with large economies, uh, which the U.S. is obviously the largest, uh, free markets, which the U.S. has. Now China would love to have its uh, currency, the yuan, as an international currency, but they want to control it. And international money does not go to control currencies; it goes to free currencies. So, free currencies is one. Open markets. And if you look at the size of U.S. Uh, of U.S. markets in terms of of stocks and bonds, they dwarf they dwarf anything else in the world. Uh, you look at all these various characteristics that historically have have uh, have been associated with strong currencies and 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 that's where the dollar is. Now you can people can argue that the dollar is going to be dethroned and so on. But 88% of total international uh, uh transactions today involve the dollar. now the dollar is preeminent. Nothing else really there's no there's really no second.
0: So what do you make of uh pundits who would claim that the United States empire is entered its sunset years. That the U.S. dollar is weak and the world has realized this. In addition, it's no longer safe because sanctions can weaponize the dollar, as you know. We've seen a few examples of um, th- this. Is hyperbole, sensationalized, uh, sensationalized headlines, or what's your take there?
1: What's new in that explanation over the last fifty years? I've been hearing that for fifty years. Uh, there's always that chorus of doubters, but <clears throat> so far they've been wrong. Mm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Do you think that when uh, the United States essentially weaponized their currency in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that that sent a message to central banks around the world that said this safe haven might not be as safe as it used to be? Or uh, do you think it was less of an event than, than people make it out to be?
1: Why do you say the US has weaponized its currency? I don't understand your remark
0: uh confiscating 600 billion dollars of USD reserves from Russia in response to their invasion of Ukraine when if US dollar reserves are are the safe haven of the world it sends a message that maybe they're not because the US can sanction these reserves if they see fit well that's a pretty small percentage of the international dollars out
1: there and um I don't think it's a meaningful uh, meaningful
0: development. Okay. All right. And I appreciate that. Great. Thank, thank you. So uh, walking down further through the portfolio, uh, short commodities. So is this in response to forecast of a global recession? What's your short commodity thesis right now?
1: Yeah, well, uh, commodities are very supply and demand uh, dependent. But you got to be careful with commodities uh, because some commodities, oil in particular, have cartels to deal with in other words a very correct analysis of supply demand for oil can be upset when opec plus comes out tomorrow with some announcement they're going to either cut or increase production um so yeah oil oil has been weak um oil prices are down 32% from their from their peak uh, last summer but uh but my my emphasis is on copper as far as commodities now it's only one of many commodities but well i like copper in particular and particularly uh in our portfolios on the short side because the number of reasons one is copper is used in almost any manufactured product it's used in plumbing it's used in cars machinery you name it it's got some copper in it uh, secondly copper does not have cartels on either the supplier demand side so the economic functions uh, act very well. Third reason is that copper producers such as 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 Chile uh desperately need dollars to service their foreign debts. So when the price of copper goes down, what do they do? They increase production. They don't cut it back. It doesn't act as a normal economic uh commodity. They actually increase production to get to get the same number of dollars to service their debts. So the the weaker the the price, the more they produce, the more they produce, the weaker the price. It's a it's a self feeding uh, cycle. Uh, that's not the only commodity that behaves that way, but it's a very very big internationally uh, traded. They they say it's a they say it's the commodity with a PhD, <laughs> and I think there's there's merit to that position. But uh, that that's the commodity that we use in uh, when we're shorting in our portfolios.
0: Okay, and it it is more or less a barometer on global economic health.
1: It is, particularly manufacturing,
0: yeah. Uh, particularly in manufacturing, okay. Yeah. Do you factor in gold into your portfolio? Would you put that in the commodity bucket or- uh, in- I'm
1: agnostic on gold uh, and
0: I'll tell you why. Uh, gold is
1: moved by a whole host of factors. If you go back uh, in 1987, um, Gold went up to what was then a very high price, $800 a month, and it went nowhere for 20 years. Uh, to be equivalent today, you'd have to be, I think, about $2,500 an ounce on, on gold. But the, the problem I see with gold is there's so many forces that push it around. Uh, inflation, deflation concerns, political risk, flight uh, capital, uh, working over old gold tailings to get more gold out of what they threw away previously uh there's an awful lot of sources there and and I I uh I, I just find it uh, at least I'm not smart enough to sort them out, loud, so I'm just agnostic on gold
0: okay yeah and so not not on the portfolio then correct no no never has been never has been okay got it okay um India ETF so you're looking at emerging markets but India is what you're focused on is that correct
1: India specifically
0: India specifically, okay. Um, yeah,
1: India specifically. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. And and part of it is a fading star of China. I mean, China is a top-down regime. It's uh, manufacturing-oriented. And the, and the facts are that as economies increase, more and more spendings on services proportionally and less and less on goods. You can only put so many cars in your driveway, but you can have almost infinite spending on travel, recreation, Medical care, etc. Indians are good at, at services, technology. Uh, China is good at manufacturing, so that's one advantage. Uh, China also, China is very much um, a top-down society, and under um, Qi, who's basically anointed himself as president for life, uh, there's there's not an awful lot of concern about economic growth. Yes, enough to keep the populace at bay but economic growth is very low on their list of priorities it's really keeping control uh indoctrination uh, communist views and she has made that very uh, evident in in recent years so that's china now that's important because china has been the the the, the locus of of uh, globalization and a lot of interest there because i'm sure you're aware china now has some very big problems with with excess investment in property uh, a lot of uh, bankruptcies and and uh, bailouts necessary by the government. Uh, they're trying to get more consumer spending. Uh, therefore they're increasing minimum wages and that's driving a lot of low-end manufacturing out of China into into uh, Vietnam and so on. So So this is really in a part of contrast with China and India. Now what, let's go to India. Uh, India has a number of advantages. Now India is is not perfect by a long shot. Uh, but India is a democracy and, and, and the value, and it's a messy democracy to be sure. Nothing like what we would prefer, but it's a democracy. And the thing about democracies is that you can change regimes without revolutions. A top-down society, the only way you change the regime is a, is a revolution. You got to throw them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that the Russian Revolution, the French Revolution, uh, you, you, uh, I, I studied uh, China, 5,000 years of dynasties, and they usually get tossed out because of civil unrest, but n- n- no top down regime ever quits voluntarily. India has a democracy, and they, have, you look at now with, with Modi's party in control, taking over from the Congress party, which dominated uh, after, after World War II. Uh, that's been a, a relatively peaceful transition. So democracy is, is important, particularly in terms of long term stability. Secondly, uh, Indians are good at technology. As I mentioned earlier, technology grows in terms of spending and, and, and goods relatively declines. Indians are good at technology and, and, and much better. And the Chinese are good at manufacturing, but that is a decided shift in favor of, of, of India. Uh, third, uh, Indians speak English. Uh, at least uh, a lot of the people are involved in the international area speak English. And that's pretty handy in today's world, uh, speaking English. Uh, fourth, India inherited a, a legal system from the British. Again, it's not, it's not as nearly as clean as we would like, but it is a legal system. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not like the kangaroo courts in China. So I think there are a number of things that, that suggest that India has great potential. And a final thing, of course, is that, is that India has had no uh, control on population. Uh, China did. Uh, under you go back to Mao, and as a result of the one child per couple, the the uh, working age population in China is is going to decline for the next four decades. That's 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 demographic facts that isn't going to change. Mm. And 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 whereas India, there has not been any control. of a much younger, more adaptable population. So those are, I think, major forces in favor of of India. And uh, and it yeah and, and I I think India
0: has great growth potential yeah I mean you outlined a pretty compelling case there the demographics alone of India I think are some of the best in the world but you know um adapted technology English speaking population definitely helps inherited the British legal system uh and the population controls that are going to be realized as quite detrimental in China don't exist in India what's your take on the longevity of the BRICS? because uh, there's a lot of weight put on this as a, a syndicate of power, uh, but the ideologies of these countries are very different, and I would expect cause some fracturing in the near future. Do you have a, a take on that?
1: Yeah, I don't think it ever was a very coherent uh, group. I think it was just a it was just a group of what, four or five countries sort of thrown together because mm-hmm. there was the expectation they all were going to be uh, growing rapidly. But uh, I don't think there was much more than uh sort of a figment of analysts uh, hopes and, and amalgamation but I I, th- I think they're all all very different uh, South Africa is certainly very different than China or India uh you know they, they just I, I I just don't think as as a group it, it means much
0: given given what you shared on China that you said the fading star of China and a powerful country in decline might be incentivized to take aggressive action sooner than later right before their power diminishes and so um there's a lot of tension in the South Pacific right now in the South China Sea a lot of conversation about you know will or, or will China not arrive on the shores in Taiwan do you have any perspective on on those geopolitical implications well that
1: you know that 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 definitely is an issue uh in uh, Shakespeare play Henry the fourth part two there's a great line that says, uh, uh, uh it says, busy, giddy minds with foreign quarrels. In other words, if you got problems at home, start foreign wars to divert uh-huh. attention. And, and that's what the Chinese are doing. Uh, their Belt and Road policy has, has been a financial disaster. Uh, they were attempting to, to, to buy their way into places like Sri Lanka, which really is just uh, a complete, uh, a complete disaster. Uh, and so on. And they're, they're, they're really trying to buy their way around the world. And it, and it just hasn't, it hasn't worked, but it doesn't mean they're not going to continue. And of course, a, a big question is, are they going to, are they going to raise more hell with Taiwan? Uh, and that, 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 that gets pretty serious because we've got some, uh, I think pretty firm commitments to be, defend, uh, Taiwan. But yeah, I think, I think China could very well, uh, try to create more, difficulties around the world and again as their domestic economy fades, again you know busy getting mines with foreign
0: quarrels. Mm. yeah interesting God, I'd love you to walk me through if you don't mind you said the Belt and Road initiative has been a financial disaster could you outline that case for me a little bit
1: well they uh the whole idea was that China was going to invest in a lot of these uh, these areas and basically buy uh, make investments there, and in effect, buy the allegiance of these of these countries. Uh, the problem is that that China, uh, unlike the U.S. and other Western countries, they did not provide this aid pretty much with no strings attached or very low interest rates that a lot of times get forgiven. <laughs> you know, let's face it, uh, but China, they 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 lent this money with 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 high interest rates and uh they've uh they they really demanded control in a lot of cases uh Sri Lanka I think is probably the outstanding problem area but they they've basically said if we make the investments we want control and uh and and a lot of these countries have no way of repaying these debts that they've incurred uh to Chinese investments uh, China's also insisted on using Chinese contractors and Chinese labor It doesn't help the country very much if they move in with all their contractors and equipment and labor and so on and don't employ and and train the the local people so Mm -hmm. it's uh it it may look good on paper but it doesn't really do much good for these countries except to saddle them with debt that they're never going to be able to repay anyway
0: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm okay i appreciate that any other emerging nations emerging markets outside of india Dr. Schilling, that that are catching your attention is worth a look.
1: You know, I'm sure there are some, but I haven't uh, I've been I've been following India for a long time. And uh, it's for the reasons I I articulated earlier, uh, have been very impressed with India and and we're invested there. But that's the only one. And uh, there probably are others, but I'm just I just haven't uh, uh, done a detailed search and none of them have come to my attention.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Uh Dr. Schilling for anybody who wants to hear more from you. I know you, you publish um a, a newsletter and anybody who's interested can find that at agaryshilling.com. And just for context there's no c in Schilling, just s h i l l i n g. Schilling
1: it used to be about four generations ago. Well, I had a great great grandfather who uh he said, well, uh you don't pronounce it and it takes extra ink to write so he, so he <laughs> Uh, voluntarily took it out it's German but he took it out <laughs> that's
0: hilarious <laughs> and, right.
1: and we've been living with it ever since
0: <laughs> can you can you walk me through what people receive uh in terms of your distribution and analysis yeah,
1: yeah. And, and and we do have a monthly newsletter and if anyone would be interested in seeing a complimentary copy we do have a, a toll-free number and the number is 888-346-7444 888-346-7444. Be happy to send you a complimentary copy and you can sort of see what we're doing. Our, our, our December issue is a rather interesting one. It goes back, uh, it goes back, uh, uh, 41 years. As a matter of fact, to when I first started forecasting deflation, I wrote an extensive article for Fortune Magazine in 1982 on this. And uh, a lot of this issue is really looking at you know how did we do uh, how did we come out and 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 it has it has about uh, not not 100% but it's about pretty well but it's i think it's indicating a lot of the uh, disinflationary themes and disinflation means lower and lower inflation rates uh, whether whether well, I don't think we're going all the way to deflation widespread declines in prices but disinflation and uh, and and they've worked out but uh, you know what's also important is what of these themes are still viable, and that's what we uh, concentrate on in this December issue. So if someone's interested, we have to send them a complimentary copy.
0: Okay, appreciate that. Um, and agarryshilling.com. Look, I appreciate your time today, Dr. Schilling. It's been great having you on and chatting with you, getting some perspective on where you're focused and where you're allocating capital. So thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.